Good morning. So good to see all of you. A few empty seats here this morning. We have uh, dozens of our senior hires who are at Winterfest. I was up there with them yesterday in Arlington, Texas, and uh, they're all doing well. I think they're going to be heading back this afternoon. I know we've got several of our AFCers who are also on weekend trips, and so we want to be prayerful of them as they're out and about uh, sharing the good news of Jesus, who is the Christ, uh, in their uh, various circles of influence. Uh, my name is Greg Anderson, and I'm just so thrilled to be able to share the Word of God with you today. We're going to be in a text that, in some ways, is a little bit difficult to understand, uh, but it's filled with tremendous blessing. Before we get there, I just want to share a few thoughts with you from when I was a little bitty guy. When I was about six, seven, eight years old. Every Sunday evening, after evening worship, we would all go to my grandmother's house. And uh, my mom had five sisters and a brother, so a big family. I had two sisters, my dad and mom. We would go and we would all be there together with aunts and uncles and cousins and, and my grandmother and my grandfather. And they lived in a little white house with a big front porch. Uh, they lived in Jackson County, Tennessee way out in the country, about an hour east of Nashville, Tennessee. And they lived in a hollow, except where I grew up, we called it a holler. Uh, so they lived in a holler in Middle Tennessee. And there are a lot of things that I remember about those times at my grandparents on Sunday evenings, but there are three really distinct things that I remember. The first thing that I remember is how happy I was. I was surrounded by people who loved me and I was with people whom I loved. And our house was filled with lots of laughter. Our family loved to laugh. We loved to tell stories. And boy, could my grandma cook. That's the second thing that I remember. She never measured anything. She would just grab a pinch of this and a dab of that and a cup of the other and and out would come this amazing smell from the kitchen. And it, it kind of called us to the table like an old friend, you know, inviting you to come and take your seat. The third thing that I remember is sitting on the front porch on those nights when the temperature would allow. And we would listen to the back and forth of storytelling. And sometimes we would hear the same story that we had already heard, but that was okay. And it's funny what you remember, but I have a particular thing or two that just really stands out in my mind. My grandparents' house sat parallel to the road, and as you looked across the road to the other side, there was some bottomland there, and that bottomland fronted pretty significant hill probably even higher than our our roof line here but that hill because it was so dense trees provided a really really dark backdrop I'm talking like dark dark we lived out in the country and so my grandparents did as well there was really not a lot of ambient light and there's this one thing that I remember in particular and that was at certain times of the year I remember watching the fireflies light up against 
that darkness. And I don't know much about fireflies. I don't know if they're signaling to one another or if there's like firefly morse code. I don't really know what's going on, but, but I just remember, and you've probably figured this out about me. I really like to talk. Have you figured that out about me so far? But I remember then just sitting there and I just remember being in awe, even as a little boy, at how good God is. I was happily surrounded by people I loved and people who loved me. I was feasting on flavorful food, sharing life and laughter with my family at the table. I was watching nature's light display as multiple stories of individual family members became our story, the story of our family. And I didn't know this at the time, but God was using those moments of my life to prepare me to better grasp the text that we're sharing together today, a text with many parallels as we consider the type of church that God is calling us to be. Let's set the stage for what's happening here. If you were here last Sunday, you remember we spend some time in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And we saw Jesus in that teaching share some amazing principles about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what motivates us to live into those principles. The entourage is growing. There are large crowds from Galilee and from the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and throughout Judea. Matthew tells us that in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 25. Jesus has laid down these principles about kingdom of heaven living, and not only has he revealed the best life, not only has he spoken to his disciples, but he's told those disciples what they can expect when they encounter people who are more interested in power and pride, and how those people are going to respond to that which they cannot comprehend. Sometimes it's going to be persecution. So Jesus turns from that teaching, these principles of what it means to be a disciple, and he starts to get into some specific examples of what it looks like. And he begins with metaphor in verse 13 of chapter 5. And this is what he says. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Because they had committed themselves to follow Jesus and so adopt the new values of the kingdom of heaven, they are now going to stand out as different from other people. There's something very unique to this calling, something that's not easy for us to see through our Western eyes, nor hear through our Western ears. Jesus says, you. He uses the second person plural not just because he's speaking to more than one person, but because he's shaping an entire community as an alternative society. You, all of you, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, well, how how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, all of you, 
are the salt of the earth. It's actually kind of hard to figure out what Jesus means here, but I want to put forth a few possibilities this morning. And this passage is actually debated more than you might think. What exactly is Jesus saying? Now, I'm not a chemist. Maybe there is a chemist in the crowd that can correct me here if I'm wrong. But sodium chloride or, or salt, if I understand correctly, it doesn't lose its flavor. It doesn't lose its saltiness, its, its um, savor, unless one thing happens. And that is unless it is diluted. Okay? So, let's tie these words back to the teaching in the Beatitudes. And it's possible that Jesus means something like this. Now, this is the Greg version, so I could very well be wrong. But it's possible that he means something like this. Do not allow your faith to be watered down by the ways of the world. You are merciful, pure-hearted peacemakers who hunger and thirst for righteousness. People who prefer the darkness will find that it never satisfied. Their lives are very likely to spiral out of control, ultimately ending up atop a trash heap, but not you. Salt people have a different outcome in mind. You. All of you. Well, you're more like a city on a hill. We'll get to that part in just a second. Salt is also a preservative, and so this is another possible meaning of Jesus' words here. In Numbers chapter 18 and verse 19, a salt covenant was made between God and Aaron and his sons. And if we tie his words to the verses that follow, we'll get to Jesus' teachings here in just a moment on the law and the prophets. And so if we tie what he's saying here to those words, then it's possible that Jesus could be saying, you are my everlasting covenant to the earth. I don't want to see you throw this covenant away. It's possible that Jesus means that. Also, life needs salt and other minerals for us to to live this is true for plant life it's also true for animals but not salt as in table salt rather salt as a mixture of other minerals that makes for very rich healthy soil and out of rich healthy soil comes vibrant nutrient filled products so it's possible that jesus could be saying your good, rich soil. I'm putting all kinds of spiritual nutrients in you, but I want you to look out. There are other types of soil out there. If you choose another supplier, someone who is peddling lesser quality, you may end up like packed down dirt that people walk on and barely even notice. Now it's possible because Jesus is going to come back and he's going to teach something similar a little bit later on in Matthew chapter 13. I'm not going to read the entire passage, but I want you to notice this contrast between verses 18 and verse 23. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, Jesus teaches, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed that is sown along the path, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. 
This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now, which one of those is what Jesus means? I don't know. Possibly, there's a sprinkling of truth in all three possibilities, and those aren't the only possibilities that exist. I have a hunch that he's talking more about flavor. That's what I think the passage is about. But I could be wrong. Hang on to that thought for just a moment. Jesus continues in his teaching. Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, I love some insights here that are offered by scholar R.T. France, and he makes the following observation. He says, the hilltop town of verse 14 is a symbol not of an easily seen individual, but of the collective impact of the whole community. Modern, Western, individualism is such that we easily think of the light of the world as a variety of little candles shining, but it is the collective light of a whole community which draws the attention of the watching world. Now, this is a flashlight. I'm not going to shine it in your eyes, okay? Because that would be rude. Um, You can kind of sort of see the light. We have a lot of ambient light in here. Wouldn't it be cool if we all had one of these right now? And we could just kind of shine them around. Oh, you got your cell phones, and so you could get those out, and we could have a little light show. You know, you don't really see a lot of, pay a lot of attention to this one light, but if we were all doing it, we'd be paying attention, right? It might actually get a little bit obnoxious after a little while. But how many of you put one Christmas light on your house at Christmas time? Just one. That'd be kind of boring. You should see our light display. Oh, really? How many bulbs did you put up? One? It didn't make any sense. But a lot of bulbs, like our neighborhood. I mean, we're convinced that Clark Griswold literally did move in next door in our house. I mean, it's, it's just amazing how many lights are out there. And that gets attention. But from our Western, through our Western ears and, and through our Western eyes, we, we have a hard time seeing what Jesus is trying to get us to understand here. It is about you, all of you. Not about you as an individual. We bought into the individual narrative even when we were younger. Do you remember a song that we used to sing in vacation Bible school? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Now don't feel bad if you were a VBS song leader and you led that song. It's okay. Because there are times that we do need to allow our individual lights to shine, surely. But if we want to sing that song through the theology that Jesus is putting in play here, we would sing instead, this little light of ours, we're going to let it shine. Because that's what Jesus has got in mind here. The language is purposeful. You, all of you, are salt. All of you are light. Together you stand out from the crowd. And whether the salt he speaks of preserves or flavors or enriches, no matter what he literally means, it's a difference maker. And it's not just a single light that is a difference maker. It is the collective light that really gets our attentions, that allows us to see where the obstacles and allows us to see where the pitfalls are. And why is that important? 
Because surely Satan patiently lies in waiting to trip us up and lead us into dark places. Those places that make it very, very difficult for us to find our way home. I'm reminded of the lyrics from a song called City on a Hill by Casting Crowns. Lyrics that showcase what happened when we lose sight of Jesus' teachings on distinctive togetherness. We're all in this together. And the lyrics of the song go like this. Did you hear of a city on a hill? Said one old man to the other. It once shined bright and it would be shining still. But they all started turning on each other. And one by one they ran away with their minds made up to leave it all behind and the light began to fade in the city, the city on the hill. The song ends with an echo that's it's really an invitation and the Father's calling still, come home, come home. We sometimes trip up over our differences. We sometimes think that different is deadly. Sometimes we confuse unity with uniformity. But Jesus doesn't seem to be confused about it. Paul certainly is not confused about it. He writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6, through 6, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Jesus expands His teaching here. He doesn't just stop with the, the salt and the, and the light. He goes a little further. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Sometimes we use another section of the Sermon on the Mount to diminish the actual impact of these words. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, Jesus teaches, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. But the difference between what Jesus teaches in chapter 6 and what He teaches here in chapter 5 is motivation. In chapter 6, Jesus is talking about what we have the ability to choose to showcase to others. In chapter 5, he is teaching about who we are in him. He's not saying you should be salt. He's not saying you need to act like light. He is saying you are salt. You are light. It's in my DNA. And now that I'm here... It's in your DNA too. So what option is before us, salt people? What option is before us, light people? Well, here's my prayer. I pray that as a church, we're going to be a church that pours on the salt and we turn on the light. All of us together. There are all kinds of ways that a church can do this. There are all kinds of ways for us to be salt, for us to be light. There's all kinds of ways for us to live out salt and live out light in distinct 
community of Jesus. Sometimes in a church our size, it's not always easy to know how that occurs. I have a good news story, though, that I do want to share with you today. Sid Walker has a brief follow-up, and then we're going to look at the rest of the text in this section. So please Please watch the video screens for a few moments to see how salt and light are flowing out of the church and the difference that it is making in the lives of many in Brazos County and beyond. As Paul Atkinson mentioned, that the Counseling Center now has more space to grow. But first, the history of the program, Sean alluded to uh, in 2010, the elders making the decision to start a counseling ministry, and it started by moving into uh, that facility that you saw, also known as the Boonville Building, with a 1,000 square feet. Monies were donated to the church, 250,000, to buy a small portion, 12% of that facility. It wasn't long before the counseling uh, center kept growing, the ministry kept growing. Sean mentioned adding counselors, now a total of 18 that work there, helping families. Recently, certain individuals saw the need uh, for the church and the counseling center to have the entire facility. Uh, God continued to work through hearts. The previous owners and their generosity, um, one group donated over 700000 worth of their interest, and the other made it possible for the church to uh, take on the remaining debt at a very affordable rate so that the other tenants in the building, not the counseling center, but the other tenants, uh, the rent they pay offsets the monthly payment. Uh, Soon the entire facility will be paid for and uh, there'll be even more space to expand. I have no doubt God is using this ministry and this facility to be salt and light in this community. Uh, those, the, the previous owners of that facility didn't want any recognition, but we do want to thank them anonymously, uh, their generosity and their care and concern of growth of the kingdom through the counseling center in this community. Let's pause and pray. God, thank you so much for the foresight of the previous elders of this church that said we need a counseling ministry and brought Sean here and just to see the ministry that has grown and now the facility, we give you thanks. We thank you for hearts that are being changed. We thank you for people that are working. We thank you for the way that this church is now an active part of this entire community. All praise and glory we give you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See, it's, it's about being salt and light. It's not about doing, it's about being. It's what we are. And that's just one example of how this body of faith, I think, is living into the words of Jesus in this passage. Matthew does something very interesting with the teachings of Jesus at this point by making one of the strongest appeals in the New Testament for honoring the messages and the covenant that worked together to point the way to Jesus. And I, I've heard an adage that I, that I agree with, to understand where you're going, you have to understand where you've been. And it seems Jesus is saying here, to understand what it means to be salt and light, you have to understand 
what my father did to get you ready to be salt and light. And so the text continues in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the latest stroke of a pen, least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you certainly will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, these are not easy verses to understand. It seems Jesus is saying here that you got to follow all the rules of the law, but when compared to his later teaching and the teachings of Paul and other New Testament writers, well, that can't be the case um, because there is no life in the law. There is only life in, in Jesus. So instead of trying to explain it, I, I want to share an expanded rendering of this text that was crafted by R.T. France, and I'm happy to make this available to anyone. What I'd like to ask you to do is just kind of hold your Bibles open and then simultaneously glance at what's up on screen because I think his insights here truly help capture the heart of what Jesus is trying to communicate. He says, Do not suppose that I came to undermine the authority of the Old Testament Scriptures, in particular, the law of Moses. I didn't come to set them aside, but to bring into reality that which they pointed forward. I tell you truly, the law, down to its smallest details, is as permanent as heaven and earth and will never lose its significance. On the contrary, all that it points forward to will in fact become a reality and is now doing so in my ministry so anyone who treats even the most insignificant of the commandments of the law as of no value and teaches other people to belittle them is an unworthy representative of the new kingdom. While anyone who takes them seriously in word and deed will be a true member of God's kingdom. But do not imagine that simply keeping all those rules will bring salvation. I'll tell you truly, it is only those whose righteousness of life goes far beyond the old policy of literal rule-keeping, which the scribes and Pharisees represent, who will prove to be God's true people in this era of fulfillment. There's a final passage that makes the entire section more understandable. And I want you to remember the word, finished. Some translations say accomplished. Verse 18. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished. Verse 28, rather, not 18. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on the stalk of hyssop plant, and they lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he received the drink, he said, 
it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished can mean lots of different things. Sometimes it can mean it's over. But there are other times that it means part one is over. Part two is just beginning. And I think that's what Jesus means here. I am the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Their purpose pointed the way to my purpose. And my purpose points you to my Father's purpose. And my Father's purpose is to deliver you from darkness to light, from captivity to freedom, from death to life. And not just life, but life everlasting. I am now an adult. Almost every Sunday, my entire church family meets in my father's house. This house is in the middle of a big field in Brazos County, Texas. It's a brown brick house with a big front porch. I have a lot of fond memories of these years of my life, but there are three distinct things that I remember about our gatherings. The first thing I remember is how happy I am. I'm surrounded by people I love. And I'm surrounded by people who love me. The house is filled with laughter. And boy, can our people cook. That's the second thing I remember. During our fellowships, we, we throw in a pinch here and a, and a dash there. It's not long until smells from the kitchen call out to us like an old friend inviting us to the table. The third thing I remember is sitting down together, sometimes here, sometimes Kyle Field. Sometimes in one another's homes and on occasion we even spend time together in the hospital room or maybe even at the funeral home. We listen to the back and forth of storytelling and sometimes we hear the same story from previous time together. But that's okay. It's funny what you remember. Those things that particularly stand out in your mind Our house is situated within distance of people whose lives are dark. Sometimes that darkness is really dark. But on certain occasions, our family members here, they show up like beacons in the night. I've always loved to talk. You've probably figured that out by now. But even now, I watch these lights and I just silently marvel at God's goodness. I'm happily surrounded by people I love and people who love me. I'm feasting on flavorful food, life and laughter with my family at the table. I'm watching God's light display as multiple stories become our story. The story of this church. And I believe with all my heart that 
This is the type of community that God calls us to be. And here's the beautiful news. It's, it's not my story. It's, it's ours. You, all of you, we, all of us, we are salt and we are light. And every single person in this place, every one, is welcome here. As we learn to not just talk these words of Jesus, but to live these words of Jesus. We're going to sing together. If you want to pray with someone, just tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, I really could use some prayer time with you. If you want to be baptized this morning, just meet me right down here at the front. We'll rejoice with you as that happens. Let's stand together. Let's sing.